Was the Christ event little more than fodder for the entertainment of American Christians? Is it okay to insert material fictitious events, significant fictitious events, into a series that is supposed to represent the gospel? If we know people just don't read their Bible, is it wise for us to recommend a series that is overtly influenced by ungodly philosophers of modern American paganism. Welcome back to the Reformed Rant, where we take up the most pressing theological, philosophical, and social issues of the day without regard for pagan values or sensibilities from a distinctly Reformed Christian perspective. The topic for today's discussion is the popular YouTube series that I think it's moving to Netflix. Maybe it already did. I don't know. But it is the series called The Chosen. And my concerns with what I saw as I set through the first eight episodes of this series. If it came along, everyone that knew him knew each side that he'd be on. He never was a hero for this county shining light, but you could always find him standing up for what he thought was right. He'd say, You've got to stand for something, or you'll fall for anything. You've got to be your own man. Not a puppet on the screen Never compromise what's right And uphold your family name You've got to stand for something All right, let's, let's get into it. The Chosen. I don't know if you've heard of this series. I had not heard of it until someone recommended that uh, folks watch it. And so then I thought, well, I started looking around. Uh, a lot of positive comments about The Chosen, and uh, I'll be honest with you, in our culture, with the degree and preponderance of error and really bad perspectives of what Christianity is, what the Bible teaches, the Christ event itself, the gospel, sin, righteousness, repentance, I was concerned skeptical. In my mind, um, this culture, the populace, inside the churches and outside the churches, uh, I doubt would find an accurate depiction of the Christ event um, to be anything other than abhorrent, distasteful, to be repudiated. And so when I started hearing that all these people thought this was a great series, I had to go look for myself. And unfortunately, I, my fears were confirmed. So The Chosen uh, is out on YouTube. If you go to YouTube and enter The Chosen, you can find it. It has eight episodes. It's free. It's accompanied by um, 
a, uh, let's call them bookends, comments in the beginning from the director, producer. I don't know which one he is, or both perhaps. Um, second, and, his, and at the end, he also goes through a lengthy commentary on uh, what people just saw. I guess it's kind of intended to be a, a lesson, if you will. Sort of. I mean, sort of. Uh, the average episode length is about 40 minutes, uh, so it's not that long, um, and it's it's uh, the quality is very good. Uh, there's no question that they have uh, a quality script, quality actors, quality set, uh, good technology, so all of that is good. Uh, commenting from uh, studios.vidangel. They describe The Chosen as, this is what they say, The Chosen is the first ever multi-season TV show about the life of Jesus. Created outside of the Hollywood system, The Chosen allows us to see him through the eyes of those who knew him. No matter where you are, no matter where you are at in your journey with Jesus Christ, this TV show is for you. Wikipedia describes it this way. The Chosen is a 2017 television drama based on the life of Jesus Christ, created, directed, and co-written by American filmmaker Dallas Jenkins. It is the first multi-season series about the life of Christ. And season one was the highest crowd-funded TV series or film project of all time. So Christians got behind it and funded the uh, project. The series creators stated that they had hoped to distinguish the new series from previous portrayals of Jesus by crafting a multi-season, episode-based story. The series portrays Jesus through the eyes of those who met him. So, <clears throat> yeah. Part of the problem with this, before I jump into the reviews, is that in order for you to portray Jesus through the eyes of those who met him, you have to go back into that culture, allow that culture's attitudes, mindsets, uh, idiosyncrasies, philosophies, religious beliefs, convictions, and so forth. Uh, you have to leave those untouched. Otherwise, you're not, you're not portraying Jesus through the eyes of those who met him. Here's what's happening in The Chosen. Peter is removed from his culture as an ancient Jewish fisherman, and someone from modern, the modern 21st century America, let's say the... What, what a modern 21st century American would think about Peter has been recreated and placed, inserted into, imposed on the Peter that we read about in the Gospels. That's what's happening with each of the characters, including Jesus in The Chosen. All right. So episode one, I just want to run through each episode, and then uh, we'll do a summary, and hopefully I'm going to try to keep this... I say this on every rant, trying to keep this shorter. Episode one, Mary Magdalene is supposedly a prostitute who tries to kill her John. Okay, now whether Mary Magdalene was a prostitute or not, we really don't know. Could have been, maybe not, maybe. 
Who knows? Uh, second, Peter is involved in a UFC style fight, style fight, a UFC style fight club, where he and his brother Andrew are involved in fight sharking and gambling. In other words, Peter's getting beat up, getting beat up, and the bets are being placed as Peter's getting beat up, and then he turns around and, and you know, knocks the guy out, supposedly. That doesn't actually happen, but that's the game. We all know what sharking is. That's the game that's being played. So Peter and Andrew involved in this. Peter is very much addicted to gambling. He has a gambling problem. He has a massive debt, and he has a real problem on his hands with the Romans because he isn't paying his taxes. He's in over his eyeballs. Then we are introduced to Nicodemus, where we see a scene with Nicodemus and, and his wife, and his wife has all the attitudes and traits of a modern American woman in the way she presents herself to her husband, like a typical modern American woman would present herself to her husband. All this is being done. Now, we're supposed to be seeing Jesus through the eyes of those who met him but we're not. All this is being done to Americanize the Christ event, or maybe broader, to Westernize the Christ event, okay? Other than the fact that there was a Nicodemus, a Mary, and a Peter, and an Andrew, and a Jesus as historical figures, the, cho the Chosen's first episode contained almost no history whatsoever. There was no gospel, no confrontation, no repentance anywhere in the first episode. Okay. Episode two. The Sabbath in episode two is presented as the family's day and a day for honoring neighbors. Okay. Now, this is very much out of step with Jewish thought around the Sabbath, and very much in lockstep with modern American mindsets regarding Sunday. It's family day. It's a day for honoring your neighbors. I don't know where that came from. Well, I do know where that came from. If you think about contextually where we are with the social justice movement and the, the talk of loving your neighbors and standing up for the oppressed, this is being snuck in. You have to pay attention to these things because now I'm not accusing the chosen. I'm not accusing anybody who created chosen to being uh, as being of the devil or being not saved or anything like that. I'm not doing that. But I am going to tell you that Satan uses the technique. He shows up as an angel of light. What he says, the things he does in the beginning to the believer, in front of the believer, the way he reasons. Seems right, but it isn't. He uses the right terms. What he says sounds, on the surface, sounds correct. Sounds right. Sounds orthodox. But behind the curtain, something else is happening. And you cannot afford, as a modern Christian, 21st century Christian living in America... With the state of affairs as they are, you cannot afford to take your eye off the discernment ball. You have got to pay attention to everything that's going on. If we've learned anything over the last 10 years, 15 years, it is that these people will 
borrow orthodox terms and expressions and even imply that they have left the definitions untouched and they will sneak them into the community. We have learned that that is happening. And I firmly believe that it's happening here as well. Okay? The Sabbath was the Lord's Day. It was not family day. It was not a day for social involvement. It was the Lord's Day, the holy day of the week. But modern American ideology has been superimposed on the Jewish mindset for what the Sabbath was and was not. So that I guess we can relate to it. It has to be relatable. Uh, There's a scene early in the episode where a Jewish woman makes the statement, we are all God's people. Okay? Seems harmless. This stuff seems harmless. Taken in bits and pieces and just snippets, it seems harmless. But if you place these things within the entire context of the chosen and what it's doing, they are anything but harmless. Right? You pick it out of its context and you'll be like, yeah, we're all God's people. In a sense, yeah, we are all God's people. In a sense, we are. Paul said so, right? In a sense, we are created in the image of God, right? But what's happening here? Can you not feel the influence of diversity? And there's more seasons coming with the chosen. I will predict you will see a lot more of this in future seasons of the chosen. The emphasis will be on social justice, wokeness, diversity, uh, it will it will do everything it can to downplay the seriousness of sin. And there will be very little gospel. There's been no gospel so far. You'll, well, I'll come back to that in my criticism. This, okay, this would not have been the typical mindset of a, a first century Jew. They would not have been thinking that we are all God's people because at that point in time, Israel had been selected by God himself to be his people and everyone else had been left out. God did not, at this time, had not elected all the nations. He had elected specifically Israel to be his chosen people. There's a conversation between Peter and Mary that once again looks exactly like something, or not Mary, uh, Peter and his wife, that looks exactly like something that an American couple would have. Same kind of, of, of argument going on with the same kind of disposition between the man and the woman that you would see in a modern American household, okay? Now, one of the most serious problems with the second episode is there is a depiction in the episode where Jesus had Mary lead the Sabbath service, okay? Something that's not only not historical, but outright contradicts the clear teachings of Scripture regarding male leadership in the church. And you have to ask the question. This is the question you should always be asking. Why was this decision made? What was behind this decision? What were you trying to accomplish by deciding to put all this effort and energy into something like this that you know did not happen, but you put it in anyway. What are you trying to accomplish 
here with your audience. You are definitely trying to accomplish something. Okay? The way Mary and the wives of Peter and Nicodemus, both, are portrayed clearly lends itself to an egalitarian view of Christianity in episode two, and this is throughout the season. Episode three does not have... Uh, it's really uneventful from the standpoint that there's nothing there to really... I mean, Jesus is very involved with children in episode three. There's not a ton to criticize. The only, the only thing that concerns me about episode three is that Jesus taught the little children about his messianic mission even prior to calling and teaching it to his disciples. That seemed odd to me. It seemed odd. And we, we do know that in this culture, children have been idolized and worshipped and not managed, not supervised, not held accountable, not disciplined in any way, shape, or form. They've been elevated to a status uh, that, they, that really doesn't belong to them as children. Uh, their opinions are valued as if they have 50 years of experience under their belt. They say something, we should listen. No, it's a child talking. It's a kid who doesn't know anything and has no experience in life whatsoever. We've elevated children to this status. They have now a sense of entitlement, and they have turned into these young 20-something-year-olds who are burning down cities and removing statues and are throwing a fit. That's what we've created with this approach to rearing children in this country. I don't know if the chosen is 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 actually showing sympathy to that kind of an attitude, but um, time will tell. We'll see in seasons going forward. Episode four: A huge argument between Peter and his wife continues to paint the uh, ancient Jewish woman with modern Christian attitudes. It's a serious problem. It's a serious problem in the churches today. Uh, this does nothing to help that problem. Uh, submission to male leadership in the churches is a serious problem in the churches today. No one wants to say it. No one wants to admit it. No one wants to confront it. No one wants to deal with it. But it is a fact. Whether you want to deal with it, admit it or not, it's a fact. All you got to do is Look around. Look at divorce. Look at the, the divorce numbers. The overwhelming of ma a majority of divorces are initiated by women, even in the churches. And the, the number one cause is not abuse. The number one, n n I'm not going to say number one, the, great, the greatest causes, the greatest contributors are falling out of love, not feeling loved anymore, and money. Abuse is way down on the list. Does that sound like submission to you? No, it's a problem. It's a problem when men do it. It's a problem when women do it. But there is a serious problem on the female side because the overwhelming majority are initiated by women. Okay. In episode four, Peter also refers to John the Baptist as creepy, something that only a modern mind could have come up with. 
because in the Jewish mind, Peter wouldn't have thought of John the Baptist as creepy. He would have held John the Baptist in the highest regard because he was considered to be a Jewish prophet sent from God. And the Jewish mind doesn't look at the prophets and think they're creepy. They are held in high regard. See, this is not depicting Jesus through the eyes of those who met him. This is a spin. Everyone who met Jesus has been reinvented, repurposed. The projection of Western modern mindsets and personalities have, have been imposed on the characters and the people we see that met Jesus in history. That's what's happening here. And you are losing the overwhelming majority of what is being revealed by God in those exchanges in Scripture. They've been completely eradicated for the most part so that something else is being revealed through these, these encounters with these ancient Americans. Not so much ancient at all. Okay, Peter supposedly, as we come into episode four, has a gambling issue and is in serious trouble with the Romans. He's got a, a tax debt because of his gambling problem and his losses that he can't pay. And he is falling further and further behind rapidly. He has this tension going on with the Romans. This is complete fantasy. There's absolutely nothing whatsoever. No, nowhere. Not, this is completely made up. It didn't happen. All right, moving on to episode five. Uh, this episode recaps Jesus uh, at 12 years old in the temple and has Jesus' mother referring to his actions as a transgression. What are you going to do to make up for the transgression to your mother? Now, you know, I'm not sure they intended to imply that Jesus committed a, a, a violation of a rule with his mom because to do that would have been sin. Okay? If I'm, if I'm charitable, I say this is gross, irres I mean, grossly irresponsible if I'm being charitable. But a lot of people looked at this before it went through. So it's more than irresponsible. It's reckless. And it's false. It would lend support to modern, ignorant Christians' beliefs that Jesus wasn't perfect, that he sinned when he was a human. So when we're having conversations with people who've seen this and who also hold that belief, this doesn't help us. It hurts. It gives people permission to embrace ideologies and views that are not just unbiblical, anti-biblical. And heretical. To say that Jesus sinned when he was a human is heresy. It would disqualify him from being the sacrificial lamb of God. That's a big deal. Okay. Now, I understand people are going to say, oh, you're making something out of nothing. No, I'm not. I'm absolutely not. We don't need the chosen. You have a Bible, pick it up and read it. If you want to know something about Christ, Get in his word. God revealed truth about Christ to us so that we would know the truth and grow in grace and become more Christ-like. Not so that we could make fictional fairy tales about Jesus to entertain Americans who are too lazy to read the Bible. 
And those of us who are recommending it think we're doing something positive for the ministry, and we're not. We're hurting ourselves. It's not good. It's bad. Don't do it. Continuing episode five, Nicodemus implies that John the Baptist had been working miracles. Okay, that's news to me. I had no idea John the Baptist worked miracles. Where's that at? <sighs> Romans, John the Baptist says, aren't kind to the homeless. He says this to Nicodemus. When Nicodemus came to visit John the Baptist in prison, okay, and, and, and John the Baptist says, Romans aren't kind to the homeless. What? What, Where, what is that? Where is that coming from? What is that designed to do? Why did that get inserted into the chosen? Why? Again, look at our context and ask what influenced the decision to put that kind of a conversation into this series. The entire Nicodemus narrative is a deliberate lie invented to, some, to support the modern view that people are searching for meaning and purpose. The only difference is Nicodemus supposedly saw a miracle that he couldn't explain and is troubled by it. Nicodemus is looking for the Messiah, as are all Jewish rabbis at this time. He isn't looking for meaning and purpose in his life. Peter's wife in this episode tells him, of course Jesus chose you, as if there is something in Peter himself that would have merited being chosen by Christ. And in fact, in the last episode, episode eight, Jesus tells Mary, or tells Peter's wife, you saw what I saw, but you saw it before I did. There's something in Peter. So again, it isn't said by Jesus, but the implication is there's something about Peter that influenced Jesus' choosing him. This is absolute nonsense. All right? It's subtle. It isn't overt, but it is there. Mary Magdalene is included with the disciples as if she's just one of the guys. Why was this decision made? Mary was not one of the disciples, as we understand disciples in this context. There's no indication that she was traveling with Jesus along with the twelve throughout the Gospels, as if she was one of the boys. But that's how it's depicted Okay, there was a deliberate decision made to elevate Mary Magdalene in The Chosen. What do you think influenced that decision? It's not that hard to figure out, folks, right? The egalitarian nonsense that's going on right now, if you have a biblical view of the family and a biblical view of husband-wife relationships and a biblical view of leadership, you are misogynist. And what these guys are trying to do is paint a different picture that can, to the best of its ability, accommodate that hostile attitude toward the biblical view of male leadership. That's what they're trying to do. They're trying to soften this up. They do not understand 
that when you attract, what you attract people to with the gospel, you have to keep them with. If you attract them to the church by removing the, the patriarchal system, by removing male leadership in the home and in the churches, then the only way you'll be able to keep those people is to make sure you, you make that removing of male leadership permanent. What you win them to, you will have to keep them with. It's foolishness. Now, why Mary played such a prominent role, I do not understand. The truth is that she's mentioned in two historical events in the Gospels and no more. But watching this series, you would not think that at all. One writer on Wikipedia points out that Mary is mentioned more than most of the disciples by name. But writing out the disciples' names every time they were mentioned, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, would have been inefficient and extremely costly. So the writers referred to them as the disciples, right? So this Wikipedia writer thinks that there's something to the fact that Mary's mentioned more often than the disciples by name. But if you look at it, you, you discover that Mary is mentioned 12 times and only in two general narratives. But the disciples are mentioned 463 times. Now, I only bring this up to, to, to point this out. Why do you think the wiki writer makes this kind of a foolish claim? What is it that is influencing his mindset? Hmm? I think we know. Episode 6, John the Baptist was arrested for supposedly offending the Pharisees. Well, this is not true. That did not happen. He was arrested because he offended Herod. Okay? Why would they paint it the other way around? I believe that it is potentially a swipe at religious, religious conservatism. Those traditional, especially Reformed Christians who hold a high view of Scripture and are focused on godly living and, and uh, the purity of the church, both in doctrine and living, uh, are called Pharisees today. You ever notice? We're called Pharisees. Why? Because we're conservative. Now, I think the director who was involved in this claims to be conservative as well. But, as I said at the beginning, um, a lot of people claim to be conservative, and they're not. It is a ruse. Okay? So, I think this could be a swipe at religious conservatism. Nicodemus implies, in episode 6, that God can contradict his law if he so chooses. A Jewish rabbi would have never implied such a thing. Okay? Why was this included? What was the decision behind this? This is a swipe at those who elevate the law of God. Antinomianism. Right? We know the Mosaic law is, is obsolete. But that does not mean that the components of the law of God that were inside the Mosaic law that have also found their way inside the new covenant are no longer valid. The prohibition to murder still exists. The Ten Commandments that we have are still there. 
with the exception of a new understanding of the Sabbath and what was going on there. We see Christ as the fulfillment of the Sabbath. But every commandment that we have, the moral law given by God under Moses, if you look at the new covenant, you see it repeated, still intact. In fact, if we claim to love God and we do not keep his commandments, John says we are liars and the truth is not in us. This is antinomianism. God does not see some sinners as worse than others. This also shows up in episode 6. This is an attempt, once again, to make all sin the same. But we know all sin is not the same. We, we know that uh, telling a white lie is not the same as cheating on your wife. And we know that cheating on your wife is not the same as murdering a human being. We know that there are degrees of depravity and evil. We know that. What was behind the decision to put that into the series? Jesus calls everyone listening at one point uh, good, good people. Pretty righteous, not bad. Would Jesus have ever said such a thing? I don't think so. I think that there was an episode, an event, an incident, historical incident, where someone called Jesus good, and they got a serious lecture. Only God is good. Again, what are we doing here? We're taking the sting out of sin. We're taking the sting out of gospel confrontation. We don't want gospel confrontation. We don't want to be uncomfortable. Our society is an affirmation idolatry society. Everybody wants affirmation. And if you don't affirm them, there will be hell to pay. I got news for you. You cannot affirm someone who's in rebellion against God. You cannot affirm the unregenerate. You cannot affirm the one who's practicing sin. You must confront. That's uncomfortable. So Jesus here in the chosen is giving us a new way to be able to uh, bring people to Christ without confronting their sin. Really. That's what it looks like, folks. Mary Magdalene rebukes Peter over the paralytic man. She is depicted as the delegate for who sees and does not see Jesus. Who gets in the house, who doesn't get in the house. Nicodemus is portrayed as begging Mary for a meeting with Jesus. Apparently, Mary's in charge. She must be his personal assistant. Really? That's what it looks like, folks. That's how it is portrayed. Okay, and that is a serious problem. And why people can't see that this is a serious problem is beyond me, right? We have got to keep our eyes on the discernment ball. In episode seven, Jesus asked Nicodemus, what does your heart tell you? 
Nicodemus is trying to figure out what all this means. He's fascinated with Jesus. And Jesus says, what does your heart tell you? How many times do we hear that in modern, contemporary American Christianity and in, in contemporary Christian music? What does your heart tell you? Follow your heart. Listen to your heart. Jesus invites Nicodemus to come and, and follow him with the rest of the disciples. Well, I got news for you. Number one, Jesus would not have done the former, and he did not do the latter. He would not have told Nicodemus to follow his wicked heart. And there's no record given where Jesus asked Nicodemus to be his disciple, other than the general command, repent and follow me. Nicodemus even bows to worship Jesus. And Jesus says, you don't have to do that. And then Jesus asks, what are you doing when he kisses his hand? In other words, this has Jesus refusing worship or finding it odd that someone would worship him. Why? Why would you do that when Jesus never refused worship in the New Testament, ever. Why would you write just the opposite into this series? What are you doing? This is where I would like to sit down with the people uh, who put this together and, and ask them that question. And I guarantee you, folks, what I'm going to find, the answers to all of these questions that I would ask are all going to lead to one place a general sense of being very, or a thrust of being sensitive to the sensibilities of modern pagans. That's where it's all going. We have to, Christianity needs a new paint job. So we're going to paint it with this new paint. And this new paint is taken from modern Western American philosophies and ideologies, projections of sinful men of the kind of God that must exist and what Jesus must have been like in order for him to be attractive and likable. That's where it's going. Episode 8, the Samaritan woman is framed as the kind, sweet woman and her husband as cold and hard. She brings him a divorce decree, which she would not have been able to obtain. And all he has to do is sign it, and the divorce is over. Only a man can divorce the wife. The wife cannot divorce the husband in Jewish law. Well, she apparently got the divorce in his name and just wanted him to sign, sign it and give grant her her divorce. If you look at that... Um, event, that episode, that, that portion of, of episode eight, they are pulling and tugging on the heartstrings of people to be very sympathetic with the woman who wants a divorce that she should not have, be able to have legally. And the man who wants to follow the law and say it is unlawful 
to divorce. Now, he had a, he could have divorced her because she was committing adultery. He actually could have stoned her. But the point here is that the husband, the guy who's concerned about doing right and wrong, is the cold, hard, harsh, bad guy. And the wife who has had five husbands and is with one right now who isn't her husband is depicted as the gentle, tender little victim. And your heart should go out to her. This is amazing. If anybody should get sympathy in this case, it should be the man who is being cheated on by his wife and the woman who's giving God the middle finger by playing the whore. But no, not, not here. Not. And again, if you go back into Jewish culture, you would have never had this. That would have not been the perspective of these people. That's the perspective of modern Americans. That's whose perspective it is. Also in season eight, there is um, a decree that's issued claiming that religious gatherings outside the synagogue are strictly prohibited. Um, and this is because apparently there's a tension that's growing between the Romans and Jesus, completely absent from Scripture, but uh, they're making something else up. And there's a decree issued. This is absolute fantasy, purely made up, without the slightest grounds for support. None whatsoever. Jesus' fight was with the Jews. Not with the Romans yet. The Romans would come later. All right. There's no outrageous heresy in the chosen that sticks out. There's nothing individual that sticks out. There's some places where there's more serious error than others, more disturbing um, impositions, more disturbing liberties taken. Um, but for the most part, the chosen is 90% fiction. Okay, there's, So here's, here's my concerns. Number one, there's no gospel presentation in the chosen in any sense of the gospel whatsoever. It doesn't exist. Number two, there's no concept of repentance in the chosen. Neither Jesus nor John the Baptist or anyone else even used the word repentance. Eight episodes, eight opportunities at approximately 40 minutes apiece. And Dallas Jenkins thinks it best to leave out the word repentance, to leave out the gospel. Jesus is repeatedly depicted as someone who fixes your problems or gives you meaning and purpose in life, or both. Mary Magdalene was delivered of demonic possession and brought out of prostitution. Her life was completely turned around. Wow, that's awesome. Jesus, uh, Peter was rescued from his gambling debt and a sure sentence to Roman prison. Remember the big catch of fish that Peter made? This was a miracle of Christ for Peter so that Peter could sell the fish and pay off his tax debt. Jesus fixed Peter's problem. That's how the chosen depicts this. 
Nicodemus's quest and prayers for deliverer were well on their way to being answered. So here's the idea, folks. If you fix a problem for someone, they will return that fix by becoming a Christian and following Christ. That's what we're seeing here. This is the message. This is what the chosen thinks the gospel is. This is the same kind of Jesus that the American gospel gives us. He fixes you and your problems. And as a Christian, that's how you should approach sharing the gospel with people. Focus on people's problems. Convince them Jesus can fix those problems. He's the answer. And they follow Christ because he'll fix their problems. He'll eliminate that tax. You won't go to prison. Da-da-da-da-da-da. He'll give you meaning and purpose in life. Mm -hmm. That's the American gospel. That's the gospel I see in the chosen, if there's any gospel at all. And right now, there really isn't any. These are just encounters with Jesus. No gospel. No one heard the gospel yet. No one heard the word repent. Ancient Jewish culture is swallowed up by modern American mindsets. That's number four. Okay, We see it in both the husband-wife relationships of Nicodemus and Peter, as well as the exalted role of Mary Magdalene with the twelve. The Chosen is 90% fiction, 10% fact. It's number five. Many Christians simply don't read their Bible. Young Christians will certainly be misled. It reinforces what we call Jesus, reading ourselves into the text. Modern American Christians, especially evangelicals and every other group, do this all the time. It is a massive problem in the church. We don't do anything to fix it hardly at all. It emphasizes the individual rather than emphasizing truth about God. Okay, There is no sin, no repentance, no gospel for the first eight episodes. That, coupled with the fact that it is purely a fictional account of the Christ event, makes The Chosen a series I could never recommend in good conscience. To do so would be irresponsible on my part, and I don't want to do that. Now, again, while there's no overt heresy in the series, taken as a whole, taken in its entirety, the chosen is an impediment to Christians who wish to shed their modern American worldview for the biblical one. And not only that, it has the potential to be a serious obstacle to one's spiritual growth. So I recommend that you give it a hard pass and avoid it. Jesus of Nazareth is a much better option if you want to watch something that's closer to being accurate regarding the Christ event. It's much longer, but it's far closer to being accurate. But the best way for you If you really want to know the truth about the Christ event, about who Jesus was, what the gospel is, and and read about those encounters with Christ from the perspective of the author, I suggest you read your Bible. Now, if you find reading the Bible boring, my recommendation to you is to fall on your face and repent. Embrace Christ. Beg God to have mercy on you. Place your faith in Jesus Christ. Everyone who loves God loves God's Word. 
If you do not love God's word and you find God's word boring, you do not love God and you find God boring. Repent and believe the gospel. God bless. This podcast is part of the Bible Thumping Wingnut Network, Biblical Christianity's marketplace of ideas. BibleThumpingWingnut.com Saying I was here first, this is my piece of dirt, and you're rambling, don't rambling.